Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. In that 1993 season, he was so dialed in, and he had a really he had a great college offensive line. Corey Raymer, Joe Rudolph, Joe Panos, Mike Verstegen, Steve Stark. Those guys were they weren't good. They were a great offensive line, and yet those guys would tell you that Moss was one of those guys. If there wasn't a hole for him, he would make one by running up the back of one of the offensive linemen. He hurt his own guy to get himself however many yards he needed to get. He was, he was toughness personified and became the Rose Bowl MVP on a, on a team. And, and when Alvarez came to Wisconsin, it was about, you know, it's the cliche about we want the lunch pail guys, guys who love to play. Brett Moss was the, the definition of that. This is the Larrabee and LaPay Podcast, and I'm Adam West. The Larrabee and LaPay Podcast is a production of iHeartRadio Podcasts and is presented by UW Credit Union, here for every you. With podcast partners Bachman Pools and Spas, Hot Spring Spas and Endless Pools at Bachman's Madison and Milwaukee. Get in the game with Pottawatomie Hotel and Casino, 24-7 gaming, dining, and a luxury hotel, all in the heart of downtown Milwaukee. Potawatomi Hotel and Casino. Your win is waiting. Hi, everybody. I'm Wayne Larrabee. And I'm Matt LePay. On this episode of the Larrabee and LePay podcast, the passing of legendary Wisconsin running back Brent Moss. We'll talk about that. The shocking Virginia mass shooting that saw three UVA football players killed, including a former Badger. Uh, did the Packers turn around their season with that win over the Cowboys and the Badgers, a tough loss football at Iowa and an experience uh, in a new arena for basketball, men and women. You are listening to the Laravie and LaPay podcast. Love a hometown team that's owned by fans? Oh, you'll love UW Credit Union. For over 90 years, they've been a member-owned financial institution that helps you achieve your goals. Join today. Well, Matt, uh, you know, there's some heavy stuff we need to get to and we're going to in this podcast, but I guess the uh, the more immediate thing for Packers fans, everybody's wondering, did the win over the Cowboys and Mike McCarthy's return to Green Bay and all the emotion that went into it, um, it was quite a day in Green Bay, to be honest with you, and in um, quite a ball game, to say the least. Yeah, I was really eager to talk to you about that, and you're right, we have to get to the, to the really tough stuff here later, but I, I love the fact and I guess he got trolled by it by some folks because that's what we do on Twitter. When <laughs> McCarthy walks into Lambeau Field with the Lombardi look, he has the overcoat. Yeah. He's paying homage to, you know, to the legendary coach. And I guess some people took that the, like he was trying to, you know, dog him or something. But yeah, I, I wanted to ask you about what the hype was like because obviously you know McCarthy. And I think, Wayne, did you not say earlier in the week, last week, that he was one of the more normal people that you have dealt with in a head coaching role. Did I hear you say that last week? Yeah, I did say that. He was one of the more normal people. Um, you know, normal people become head coaches, uh, man, and then they cease to be normal. 
Um, head football coaches. I, I don't know what it is. I, I, I've often wondered about this, the mentality of it. And then I've eventually come to the conclusion that it's not them, it's me. But that having been said, I, I honestly think that, and maybe you've experienced this too, you get to know a guy as an assistant. I knew Mike McCarthy when he was a quarterback's coach under Ray Rhodes. It was both of our first years in Green Bay in 1999. And then years later, he comes back as head coach. Um, it didn't change that much, but other people that I've known that have become head coaches, it seems like it changes them. And I don't know if it's because of the responsibility, the big roster, you've got to basically treat everyone to the, you know, lowest common denominator on your team, that whole thing. There's an awful lot of responsibility to it. And I also think football coaches, it's different from baseball and basketball. Baseball and basketball, you know, especially baseball, you'll probably get seven games in a week. Um, so if you lose a tough game, it's no big deal. You're back the next day and you're playing in another one. Even in basketball, it might be a couple to three days after a tough loss, but you've got to move on to the next one really quickly. Football, as you know, we spend a whole six days after a terrible win or a terrible loss or a terrible great win building up the next game and if it's coming off a loss i think there's an awful lot that goes into it emotionally uh from the outside looking in and, and so football coaches are pretty uptight it's <laughs> to Alice, worrying about curly lambeau sending spies to uh see his practices in chicago but um it's it's amazing to me how these great guys as assistant coaches sometimes become and aren't as uh aren't as affable, but McCarthy was the exception to that somewhat. And that, you know, yeah, he had his moments, but he really was more down to earth. The kind of guy, Matt, you, you'd like to go and have a couple of beers with not one, but a couple of three beers and just talk <laughs> at the bar about anything, you know, football or anything. Do you think that most now, obviously on Sunday, it was about the Packers winning and Packer fans, most, most fans outside of Cowboy nation really detest the Dallas Cowboys, but is, is it your impression that most Packer fans appreciated what he did here? I mean, it was a Super Bowl title 12 seasons ago, uh, and it didn't, it, it rarely ends well for coaches, no matter where the stop is, but to most people, they look back and go, you know what? That guy did a hell of a job here. Yeah, I think so. Um, and you know, what, what's interesting about coaches and I, I saw this up close um, with Phil Jackson is when you have a great player like a Brett Favre or an Aaron Rodgers, um, you as the head coach who's putting everything in place, you never get the credit you're due. And I think as time has passed, people have come to realize that you're right, exactly right, Matt. Um, Mike did a great job here. He was a great coach. And I, I wrote about it in my book and I, I, you know, I told a story many times last week. They don't win the Super Bowl in 2010. But with all those injuries and the up and down of that entire season, losing overtime games on consecutive weeks, basically falling out of the playoff picture, uh, without Mike McCarthy doing some some really good motivational things in the uh, behind the scenes that made a team that was um, hell heck a lot of castoffs and 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 people they picked up off the streets, um, you know to believe they could actually make a run at the playoffs and eventually the Super Bowl. And 
So I, I think there's a lot of appreciation in that regard. And the reception wasn't bad. I mean, I think the fans in Lambeau Field, field booed the Cowboys when they came on the field with their in their white jerseys and the silver helmets and the big star and the helmet, the whole bit. It, it was classic in that regard. And uh, But they weren't booing McCarthy per se at all, I don't think. And uh, so most people appreciate it. But it's interesting, Matt, because you, you brought it up. He came onto the field, I want to say it was 1030 in the morning, uh, and the game's a 3.30 start. So, you know, Mike said he was up at 4 a.m. Sunday. <laughs> I guess he just couldn't sleep any any longer. But, um, you know, he came in, he had that uh, that camel coat, you know, that long overcoat camel coat, the same one that Vince Lombardi wore on the day of the ice bowl. And so there was somebody made a point on that. But the one thing I noticed, okay, the two teams are out there warming up. And the visiting team goes back to their locker room. When they go back, they pass their bench on that side of the field, which at Lambeau Field is the east side of Lambeau Field, where the visitors' bench is. And the teams that warm up, they warm up in the north end zone area, and then they go back to their um, you know locker room past their bench. Well, this Cowboys team did exactly the opposite. They went past the Packers' bench while the Packers were still warming up out there. And so everyone thought, I kind of thought, Wow, that's uh, that's interesting. You know, was that <laughs> who thought of that? Was that a player-driven thing? Was that McCarthy saying? I don't know, but um, it, it was just an interesting day in that regard. And then Matt, you know, it, it, the the overriding question the Packers people want to know is: it, Did this game turn around the season? And we're going to start finding out like real quick, you know, Boy, no because kidding. they play Thursday night. So yeah, yeah. They, they, it saved it for the moment. Maybe is the best way or as Aaron Rodgers said, we're not dead. Um, I, it was a wildly entertaining game. And what was interesting Wayne is that the run pass ratio was about two to one. Yeah. Right. And, but, but when they threw it, he, he had some help. My question for you, Christian Watson, who ends up having a career day, he had a couple of drops early. Did it help Christian Watson in that they had very little choice? Like, instead of saying, well, forget you, we're going to move on. It's like, hey, you run like the wind. Yeah. We need you. You think that maybe helped keep him on the field? And Aaron Rodgers say, we, we, we've got to try. We've got to trust this guy, even though he's, he's dropped a couple already today. You know, man. Uh, now on the air, of course, we're painting it a much different way. All right, we're saying, oh, they, you know, they trusted the kid, they invested the kid, and they, you know, he. And, and what was so sad about it? This is a good kid, by the way, who's you know, but from a you know smaller school, in North Dakota State, um, which is a great program. Don't get me wrong, but it's a long way from the NFL, and it takes these kids a little longer, I think, on this level. And, and Christian's a highly talented athlete. So anyway. He drops the first pass, and I have a television monitor in front of me. What does Fox show? The first play from scrimmage of the Packers season. Of course. Where he beats Patrick Peterson like about three yards. The ball is right on his hands, and he drops it. Would have been a 75-yard touchdown. So they show that again. And then, you know, after the first drop, then he drops another one on a tight slant, tough catch in the middle of the field. Pro receivers have to make that catch. Now, okay. We're saying when they started coming back to him, you know, we're painting it like, well, uh, you know, despite all this, the adversity and this, that, and the other thing. No, you're exactly right. Who the hell else were they throwing the ball to? Okay. Maybe Alan Lazard. All right. But is Alan Lazard threatening that defense deep? Mm, Not really. He can make a play once he gets the ball on a quick slant as he would later in the game. 
But, you know, the problem for the Packers this year has been, uh, from an offensive standpoint, sure, run the offense through these running backs, just like they did in Buffalo. But you can run it and possess it and get more yards and do everything else. And chances are you're not going to score enough points to win a game against a really good team. You have to threaten them down the field through the air at least a couple of times. And Christian Watson was the one guy who could do that. So it's later on in the first half, and um, Watson's breaking down our near sidelines, the right sidelines in front of the Packers bench, and Rodgers sees him and throws up that rainbow. And when I watched Watson closely, he tracked it into his hands, and I could almost see when it didn't come out, (laughs) you could see (laughs) as he started down the sidelines, the weight of the world was off his shoulders. He speeds into the end zone. I'm saying to myself, Wow, I think that kid just became a player today. And maybe on that play, and then he did the backflip in the end zone. He's a tremendous testing athlete. He he tests among the best of the uh, wide receivers ever in the history of the the, um, combine. But uh, anyway, he so he did that, and then you could see the light went on. Then you could see the confidence in just the way he moved around out there. And, and, uh, you know, Rodgers kept going to him. And we'll see if this continues. I mean, hopefully it's not just one day in the sun. Um, but I think the kid is talented enough if they can keep him healthy. And that's been a big if this year. Um, he can do some things for him. Yeah, availability is rather important in all this, as is consistency, right? I mean, that's the thing that you hear no matter the level. If you you can make the great play, that's awesome. But if you're not making the routine play, then you can't stick. But that said, we become such a prisoner of the moment, Wayne. And I'm, I'm wondering, and I, I haven't given it a deep thought, but how many really good receivers in the NFL? I'm thinking there have probably been several over the course of the history of the league who ended up being really good, but as their careers were starting, they were going to drop a few. And oh. that's just the way it was. Christian Watson isn't the first, and he sure as heck isn't going to be the last, but somebody who can run like he does, you can't coach that, who has the raw talent. But he's got company, doesn't he? I mean, a lot of really good receivers oh. through the years had trouble catching the ball as rookies. Well, I can just give you a few in Green Bay, for example. Jordy Nelson would have set the uh, Super Bowl all-time receiving record had he not dropped four balls in that game. Now, he had a great game, and he made touchdown catch in the hole, but he had a great game. But there was one point in that game, Matt, I remember it, I blurted it out on the broadcast, and I really almost I said, what, what am I saying? I said, he had dropped the ball and, and in the middle of the field, and he was open, and I said, it was about the third or fourth drop that day for the Packers receiving core, and I said, you have got to catch the ball in the Super Bowl. You have to. And, and I was thinking back to – to Mike uh, uh, Holmgren, who used to scream at his receivers in practice when they would drop the ball. And, you know, he'd catch the damn ball, he would scream. <laughs> and so, you know, that was one. And then there's, you know, Devontae Adams. They were going to run Devontae Adams out of Green Bay. He couldn't hang on to anything his second year in the league. Had a real, really struggled. And then a game against the Patriots in 2014. He was the third option out there because you had Nelson and Randall Cobb uh, Jordy was the third option of the Patriots, but their third cornerback on him, and he just tore him apart and really became a player starting, I think, really that day in 2014. So, yeah, this happens all the time. James Jones couldn't catch a cold as a rookie. Um, there were several players who have been really great players in Packers history, Matt, that have uh, started out like this. 
And Romeo Dobbs is another one who's had drops, but you got the feeling the last game or two that he played before his injury that he was coming into his own. You could see the confidence. And I think these kids are going to be really good players. Um, you know, again, health is a big factor. And the other fact is, you know, the consistency. But consistency, I think, in a lot of respects with receivers especially, comes from confidence. You know what I mean? They they just know it's there. The ball's in the air. It's theirs. And that's a matter of confidence. How much do players despise the quick turn playing on Sunday and then turn it around and playing on Thursday? It's, it's really um, twofold. And I think first and foremost, physical. Because at least on the NFL level, I'm sure on the college level as well, especially the major college level the Badgers play on, it takes days to get over a game. Donald Driver said it best. He said, you know, I, every Monday I feel like I've been in a car accident, you know, hurting all over, places you didn't even know you had hurt, that kind of thing. Um, I, I think the turnaround's really difficult. But the other factor is this, Matt. Um, let me just take you through what this week is like. They came out of the game on Sunday. Okay, Matt LaFleur gives them Monday off. Tuesday's normally the off day for the players in the NFL. And then the work week really begins on Wednesday. Well, in a situation like this, they give the players Monday off, basically. Um, they do a kind of a walkthrough practice on a Tuesday. Wednesday is the final walkthrough. And then you play the game. The problem, and people say, well, these Thursday night games aren't very well played, this, that, and the other thing. And, and you're exactly right. But part of the reason is because neither team has had an opportunity to really get a game plan in and practice it on the field. And most of these athletes, um, they learn by doing, okay? Some athletes can sit there and, and look at a playbook and look at the X's and O's and say, boom, I got it. Most guys have to go through it. And that's what practice is all about. You don't get that. You don't get that on-field uh, time uh, on a short week like this. So the Thursday games are, you know, a lot of times they're kind of sloppy and uh, turnovers happen and things don't go according to plan. Um, but it's a big advantage also to be the home team in this situation. So are you going to tap the brakes before you determine that they're back? Or you, they, they did enough on Sunday, they're still alive, and kind of leave it at that? Matt, I'll tell you what. <laughs> let, let me just tell you this. Um, really good teams hardly ever lose five in a row. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> ever. Okay. But I've been around so many teams. I go back to the early days with Marv Levy in Kansas City when the the underdog chiefs would host the Raiders or, or the chargers who were really good at that time. And, and they would go out there and battle them and they would take the lead and it'd be 13 to 10 going into the third quarter, fourth quarter. And, and, you know, they're playing admirably and, and, you know, that team that lost five in a row finds a way to just lose that game. Okay. Just going to lose that game. And the Packers are playing the Cowboys, and I thought they really played well. That first half, they got a 14-7 to lead after getting down 7 nothing. They're doing everything right, and the Cowboys get a late touchdown and tie the game and then dominate the third quarter. And, you know, I, I just was saying to myself, gosh, this looks like so many of those bad Kansas City teams or Dave Wanstead Chicago teams. They're going to play their, their butts off and end up finding a way to lose. Well, the difference in this Packers team, I guess, and I didn't realize it till afterward, this group, most of them, have won 13 games each of the last three years. They've been to two NFC championship games and three playoffs, okay? This team somehow found a way to win that game when they got down 28 to 14. And that, to me, 
was really impressive about this group because you don't see a team that that loses five in a row. There's a reason you lose five in a row, and it's not good. But um, they don't often turn around a game like that against a playoff caliber team like the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, even if you're playing at home, you, you get down 14 nothing going into the fourth quarter. You've lost five in a row. Chances are you're just kind of shaking your head, say, not our day. Well, that wasn't the case uh, for the Packers, and that's what gives me a little bit of hope. Um, but the <laughs> Dennis Krause, as you know, a, um, you know, a good colleague and friend of ours, uh, host of the Packers uh, pregame show, he said to me, he said, you know, this is really good. And he he made a great point. But um, fact of the matter is, if they lose to Tennessee, and by the way, Tennessee's a very good team. If they lose to Tennessee on Thursday night, it kind of, you know, eliminates the the great victory over the Cowboys on Sunday. And you know what? That's a hardcore cold fact. Are they still the, the type for those who have not paid a lot of attention to the Titans, you think of them, Mike Vrabel, you got Derek Henry, you know, Vrabel, the coach, they're a tough physical team in a lot of ways. This is the only, the good thing is they're home, the Packers, but man, you talk about a tough scenario coming off of an emotionally charged win against the Cowboys, you know, physical, and now they got to go wind it up and do it again against a team that might be as physical as anybody in the league, right? Yeah, I think they're more physical than the Cowboys, that's for sure. They do not have the weapons offensively the Cowboys have, save for the running back, Derrick Henry. But and, and it's also a team, Matt, you know, here's the thing that people forget. The Titans, not the Chiefs, not the Buffalo Bills, not any of those other suspects. The Titans had the number one seed in the AFC a year ago. And by the way, Tennessee was the most injury-riddled team in the league a year ago. Um, they're in the same boat this year. They're still injury. They've got 13 guys on IR that brought a couple of them off this week or last week. But um, they are, you know, they are tough as nails. All Vrabel does is get it done. They're six and three. They're comfortably in front in their division. Um, you know, they're heading back to the playoffs. There's no doubt about that. And they're a very good football team that nobody really says much about, talks much about. So this is going to be a heck of a challenge for the Packers on a short week uh, in Green Bay this week. Final thought in the NFL, we, we watched the Eagles lose for the first time. I, I didn't think anybody would go 17-0. Um, are they still, despite what happened last night, if you were to pick one team in the NFC that you think is above the rest, is it still Philadelphia? Yeah, I, 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 I guess you'd have to say Philadelphia. I mean, they destroyed Minnesota, but that was way back in week two. And Matt, you know... In the NFL especially, and I even think certainly in the college game as well, football in general, it's not a matter of who you play or where you play. It's when you play that usually makes the difference. And um, Philadelphia, up until this game, had been playing the best of anybody in the NFC by far. Um, I saw some chinks in the armor last night. And uh, the Minnesota Vikings right now have got to be playing their best football. They're playing their best football right now. What's going to be very interesting to see, where are these two teams, who are the top two teams in the NFC record-wise now, where are they four weeks from now? You know, Can they maintain the edge they've been playing on? Probably not. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. But I still think Philadelphia, then Minnesota, and then you've got the rest, and you can debate the rest all you want. Um, but you know, as the season unfolds, it'll be really interesting to see where this all ends up. Because right now, those two teams are the best, but will they be in January? Uh, that's really in question. I don't know how much of a chance you've had, a, or if you've had a chance to look. The Justin Jefferson catch 
uh, oh, late yeah. to the Vikings. That uh, you're not going to see one any better than that, are you? No, uh, no, especially contested. You know, OBJ had that f- uh, famous catch in that Monday night in in New York uh, or New Jersey, actually. But this one was totally contested. I mean, you know, I don't know how the defender didn't rip it out of there. Do you? I no, had no idea. No. It, it was bizarre. And that, and then after, you know, after the Bills get a goal line stand, they end up, there's a bad a center quarterback exchange. Josh Allen fumbles. Vikings get a touchdown. I mean, that was, it was bizarre. It was a, the, the two, two games that were as entertaining as any here, probably all season. You called one of them at Lambeau with, with the rally against the, uh, the Cowboys. That Vikings-Bills game was bananas. That was oh, crazy. We were watching bits and pieces that, waiting for that to get over, and I, I just couldn't believe it. For a while there, it looked like the Vikings are going to be one of those. Oh, the, they're going to get exposed this week. I mean, Seattle got exposed by the Giants, whatever. The, but um, the way they came back in that game and hung in there and beat Buffalo, uh, I understand Josh Allen's going through some things. He was playing much better three weeks ago when we were up there. But, um, you know, that's kind of the way the season goes, Matt. You're not, you're not playing your best all 18 weeks. You just aren't. And and it's hard. Um, but I think Minnesota right now is playing really well. Hey, I don't know. You can argue Justin Jefferson might be the best receiver in the moment in the NFL. They have Dalvin Cook, one of the top two or three running backs in the league. Kirk Cousins, if he has protection, he can pick apart anybody. Oh, and their defense, um, I think, leads the league in takeaways. So um, that's good football team. People have got to realize that in Minnesota. And what what's fun there, just as a as a fan of the NFL, I know enough Vikings fans who were still waiting for the sky to fall because they've seen it a lot in their lifetime, right? And, and you know what? Packers fans who have conceded the division title are hoping the Vikings go to the playoffs and suffer a magnanimous defeat once again. <laughs> <laughs> if for if for no other reason, they want to hear Paul Allen describe it, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And nobody describes that better. <laughs> he does. Nobody describes disaster better than PA. That's fun stuff. Matt LePay for Middleton Ford. It's March and the madness has arrived. With 1.9% financing for 72 months on the F-150 or 0% for 66 months and a $1,000 rebate with FlexBuy on a 23 Bronco Sport. Middleton Ford has more than 350 new and used vehicles in stock. And if you're not finding the right one, let our guys find it for you. Middleton Ford is your good neighbor dealer where the name and the reputation stands for a great deal. MiddletonFord.com since J&K Security Solutions opened in 1987, our attention to detail and customer service have been our strongest assets. I'm President Jeffrey Beckman. We'll always do our best to find the most efficient and cost-effective solution to every job we tackle. Whether it's security for your home or business, installing video surveillance, or being able to control your garage doors from your phone, we can help you feel empowered with simple and user-friendly technology. Let's work together to secure your home or business. JKSecurity.com The Larravee and LaPay podcast is presented by UW Credit Union, here for every you. For every stage of life, UW Credit Union is here for every you. Proudly serving Wisconsin for more than 90 years. Pop in or hop online at uwcu.org to join. Back on the Larravee and LaPay podcast, great to have you listening with us. And uh, we've got some heavy news. Um, You know... It is 
you don't look to us for politics or for real life and death types of things uh, when you come to a podcast like this. But every once in a while, um, these stories hit home. Uh, there was a shooting in Virginia that involved a former Badger football player. And then there was the loss of uh, a great football player, uh, Brent Moss, a uh, great Badger who passed away, uh, led the Badgers to their first ever Super Bowl victory in 1994. He died on Sunday. And Matt, first off, um, I, I, I recall Brent. I never really met him a whole lot because, uh, you know, I did some of his games, obviously, over the years. Uh, you obviously got to know him uh, in, you know, really a, a great player. Oh, he was. I think uh, when you think of the of the great running backs, beginning with the Alvarez era, and I always want to preface this because Wisconsin had great running backs prior to that. When you know Billy Merrick and Rufus Roadrunner Ferguson, to name a couple, you can keep going. But in the Alvarez era, which meant Big Ten championships and playing in the Rose Bowl and in the decade of the '90s, winning Rose Bowls, Brent Moss was—he's like the man. Uh, he's like the original 33. Ron Dane, who won the Heisman, wore uniform number 33, but so did Brent Moss. And uh, toughness is the first thing that comes to mind, but the first word that comes to mind when I think of Brent Moss, in particular, Wayne, that 1993 season where he was he was the man. He and Terrell Fletcher, they were a great backfield combo. Terrell went on and, and played several years in the NFL. Uh, he could get you a little bit, you know, a little bit more speed. Um, but Brent Moss was a guy who would be a hammer. And he did, he weighed like 205, something like that. But in that 1993 season, he was so dialed in. And he had a really, he had a great college offensive line. Corey Raymer, Joe Rudolph, Joe Panos, Mike and Steve Stark. Those guys were, they weren't good. They were a great offensive line. And yet those guys would tell you that Moss was one of those guys, if there wasn't a hole for him, he would make one by running up the back of one of the offensive linemen. He hurt his own guy to get himself however many yards he needed to get. He was he was toughness personified and became the Rose Bowl MVP on a, on a team. And, and when Alvarez came to Wisconsin, it was about, you know, it's the cliche about we want the lunch pail guys, guys who love to play. Brett Moss was the, the definition of that, uh, particularly in that 93 season. He was as tough as anybody, uh, if a play is blocked for four yards, he'd get you 10 to 15. He would do whatever it took to, to win games, and, and he was the, you know, the lead guy of a team that did something no other Wisconsin team had done before, and that was, go, that was win, win a Rose Bowl game. He was just a, just a, it was a terrific season. and he, Look, he had his demons. He had some things that he had to, to, to fight in, in his life. Um, a lot of folks lost you know, a certain amount of touch with him. He did come back. They did a Rose Bowl reunion, uh, the 25-year the reunion in, in 2018, and he was able to be one of about 70 guys who came back. And that meant a lot to, uh, to his teammates because they know how important he was to the program in general, but specifically that 1993 team. Yeah, he battled some uh, addiction issues in his life. Uh, you know, you hope that it didn't lead to an untimely passing. He was only 50 years old when he uh, passed away earlier this week. Um, I remember talking to Eddie, Eddie Lee Ivory, great running back um, uh, out of Georgia for the Packers. And, and he uh, not only battled injuries on the field, but battled an addiction um, situation that still brings him to tears at this point in his life, many, many years later. So oftentimes the battles we see on the field are only a, a glimpse of what that 
individual is going through off the field. Um, you know, but it, it was nice to see Brent uh, come back for that reunion, as you mentioned, Matt, uh, because yeah, he was a big part of it and always will be. Yeah. It, it's, you know, Barry doesn't throw out compliments to be a nice guy and, and the book that he, he wrote with, uh, with our guy, Mike Lucas several years ago and, and Barry's repeated the, the story many times since, but you, you think about the great running backs who played at Wisconsin for Barry, you know, if it was Anthony Davis, Ron Dane, Michael Bennett, uh, you know, Melvin Gordon, all these guys, uh, Barry said, if it's fourth and one with everything on the line, he wanted Brent Moss to be the guy carrying the ball. But that's that's a pretty big compliment when you consider the you know, this place is as pri- has prided itself on becoming RBU running back university. Um, I mean, Brent Moss was kind of the guy. He was the the, the guy who helped really get that started. He and Terrell Fletcher. But to hear mm-hmm. a coach say, "When I've got to have a yard, and I could pick, you know, got, got a lot of guys who could get that for me, but if it's all on the line, I want Brent Moss." I don't know if a running back could get a better compliment than that. Was he really the first of the great running backs for Barry? Yes. The yes, first of the really great ones, yeah. Yes. Yeah, I mean, he had a big year. in that 93 season, Terrell Fletcher, he ended up with like 996 yards. I mean, he just missed 1,000. And, and he, too, became uh, – he was – it was like one and one A. And the competition those two guys had, uh, you know, with each other, they made each other better. If Brent got 10 yards, Fletch wanted 12 and back and forth, they went, their styles were different, mm-hmm. but man, it was, it was one heck of a combination. All right. Um, another story uh, that involves UW football to an extent, Devin Chandler, one of three university of Virginia players, the others uh, being Lavelle Davis jr. And Deshaun Perry were killed by a shooter, um, uh, in an incident on Sunday night um, on the campus of the University of Virginia. Um, Devin was a football player at Wisconsin. He wasn't there for a long time, but apparently touched a lot of people still on the team and in the program. Yeah, he, he transferred out. He, he appeared in about six games last year and, and uh, two seasons ago. He actually, in the, in the bowl game, when they played in the Mayo Bowl uh, in, in the COVID year, he actually had a couple of big plays, had a big return. Um, they also, I think, got a jet sweep. He had a, a, had a big play and, you know, I was like, Hey, this guy, you know, it might, this might develop into something here, but he, he moved on last year, but it, it was interesting, Wayne, it, that when the players got news of this, and I was talking with Jim Leonard about that, um, earlier on this day that we're recording the podcast. And, and he said, you know, it really hit him the number of guys on the team who have remained close with Devin Chandler, some of whom, you know, that correspond with him regularly, including as recently as last week. And they were hit so hard by this. There's a young man on the defensive line. He's in his freshman year here named Kurt Neal, who's from North Carolina, which is where Devin Chandler was from. And Neal was there for Devin Chandler's announcement that he was committing to play at the university of Wisconsin. So there was a relationship there. Uh, some of which might have been news to the coaching staff. The position coach for the receivers, Alvis Witted, you know, had a very good relationship, I believe, with with Devin Chandler. But it, it shows, and I think you and I know this, we're around teams enough to know. We, we don't claim to know everything, but we're around them, you know, maybe more than most, that even if a player leaves, um, that doesn't mean he's persona non grata. These guys remain, they remain friends with them, uh, and they were really hit hard by this. You know, on the one hand, Wayne, it's 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 a sad commentary, and I know as you said at the beginning, 
people don't listen to podcasts or this one in particular to get into you know political this that or the other and i don't intend to here now but it's just i don't know how much more we can you know on twitter or on shows say thoughts and prayers go to fill in the blank university mm-hmm. or whatever school because of the latest shooting um there's going to be another one soon that's just the nature of, that's the world that we're in it, it, it's a it's kind of a pitiful state uh and you can almost be numb to it if you let yourself be that way until it hits close to home like this one did and it, it really rocked the world of a lot of the players on this team and, and jim leonard talking to the media and then he and i were talking separately it's going to take a little time for a lot of these players to, to truly be able to process all of this the anger the the sadness the wondering why uh, yeah. it's just it's it's a lot to process while these guys are trying to get ready for a football game and you know do everything else that, that involves with being a college athlete no question about it our, our again our condolences to the family the friends um and the players who lost lost a friend uh, in that tragedy. And you're right, Matt, it happens altogether way too much in our country. And, um, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I I, I just, <laughs> you just pray it doesn't happen to somebody you know, somebody close to you, you know, you send a child to school and you think it's, you know, a safe environment, safe world. And, um, uh, hey, the mall's not even safe. So, uh but anyway, uh, let's move on. You mentioned football. Guys have to get ready for a game coming up this week. They're still outside. You know, I know that the loss at Iowa um, took the Badgers out of one um, thing that they'd like to do and would be to win the West. But really, um, there's still much to be played for. They have five wins, becoming bowl eligible. Why is it so important to make a bowl game? Everybody complains about it when you guys make the Rose Bowl because it's not the national championship game. So what difference does it make to make another bowl game? Tell us from your perspective how important that is. I don't – excuse me. I don't think any player wants to be part of that team where the bowl streak stops. These guys – excuse me while I hack. You know, these guys have been in bowl games every year since 2002. It's the longest streak going in the Big Ten. That does mean something. Um, and it's not just the bowl practices, which would have value because it's still a fairly young team. But you just you don't want to be the, the streak buster, right? So that, that means a lot for these guys to be able to. I was talking to a couple of kids here in the last few weeks. They, they still love the bowl experience. It, yeah. still, it still means that out though two years ago, because of the COVID restrictions, they went the day before they played a game. It was like a regular season uh, road game, just the way the schedule was. But last year, they went to Vegas. Now, was that a big game? No, but they got to spend time in Las Vegas, and there were still COVID restrictions, but not as, not as stringent. Um, so they were able to enjoy being there for a while. So that, that means something to them. Um, sure, they would love to be in the college football playoff. Who wouldn't? But that can't be the be-all, end-all. It can't be a college football playoff or bust. That's just not how the college game works, unless you're at Ohio State, Alabama, name the other schools that you know we all know Georgia. who they are. <laughs> yeah. uh, but they, it's important for these guys to be able to, to but I think Wayne, particularly this season, given what has transpired with a coaching change in early October, you know, with obviously this week with the you know the tragic news of a former teammate of theirs who was shot and killed, 
they've had a lot thrown at them just from a, from a football standpoint for sure, but they've had some life stuff thrown at them as well. And again, talking with a couple of the guys this morning, you know, if they could push through, if things go well for them this week, next, they could end this regular season the way they would like to, they could look back and say, you know what? A lot went wrong, a fair amount self-inflicted, but other things that were beyond our control, but if they could still get that extra game, I think that would say a lot about them and it would mean a lot for them if they could get there. That's the, that's the importance of it. I think we get so hung up, Wayne, on the, the, the playoff or bust. And you know, Ryan Day, the coach at Ohio State, at the beginning of the season talked about this. Last year, Ohio State, won the, they won 11 games, won the Rose Bowl, and he knows that's not good enough because they lost to their rival. They didn't make the college football playoff. You know, for those guys, I guess I get it. But there's a part of me that says, wow. it's Because yeah. uh, you know, we were talking about Brett Moss. And, and, the, and the Rose Bowl win, the 94, that was the magical day for anybody who had been around Wisconsin football as a fan. Like today, like, yeah, great. Did you, are you in the final four? Like, there's something a, little, something a little bit screwy about that. But it's, it's the, the sports world we're in. Yeah, I agree. And, and Matt, I mean, I've watched from afar. I think this uh, group of Wisconsin kids, I was really pulling for them and things didn't go well in the second half at Iowa. And Iowa's a lot like Wisconsin, just a tough as nails uh, football school that you really admire the way they go about their business. Um, but, you know, this group has come, that coaching change. I mean, people think, well, they got rid of Chris. Okay, that's fine. Well, how does that, it affect, it affects the players. I mean, you know, they were close to Coach Christ. Um, so they kind of bond together. They win some games. Coach Leonard takes over, and and then you lose a tough game like that. You've got two more games to go, and you could make the bowl. As you mentioned, um, these are some intangible goals, but nonetheless, I think it's real important, and, and I think it speaks to the character of these kids that they still have a fighting chance to make. And, hey, win your last two games, I think that's a heck of a way to finish the season and then go to a bowl game, and you get the extra weeks of practice and, and if Jim Leonard is the guy, we don't know if he is, but if he's the guy, then he can use those practices to develop for the future. Yeah, and I think, too, Wayne, for these, uh, for, the, for the casual fan, it's, it's probably harder to grasp. But, you know, they have in college, part of the charm of college football are these trophy games that they have. Yeah. And a couple of them are newer. The Heartland Trophy, that's still a reasonably new deal with the Wisconsin-Iowa series. This Freedom Trophy that they have with Nebraska – uh, that's very new because Nebraska, you know, just joined the league in 2011. But you know, when you win those games, you get to parade around. That you get to do your little victory lap, and there's trophy cases in your facility, and it means something to those guys to not have an empty trophy case. The one that really, you know, stands alone uh, above the rest is is Paul Bunyan's axe, yes. the deal with Minnesota. <laughs> That is a that is a huge. When I first moved here from Ohio, I think, what the hell is this? Well, what are we talking yeah. about? This axe, but you find out in a hurry uh, yeah. what it means, and it means the world to these guys. So that this stuff, I still think, you know, as much as the college game is becoming more and more of a business like the NFL, it still isn't there yet. And these. These in, you know, I don't think the, you know, the the Packers Cowboys game. There wasn't any, you know, there wasn't any little trophy at stake. It's a different <laughs> world, but in the college game, it yeah. still matters. So it's it, to me, that's what, that's one of the many things that that still makes it fun. As much as the college sports world has changed, I it, hope it, that it, never does. 
it matters to the players. It matters to the fans. You know what I mean? The fans who follow it closely, it does matter. No question. Hey, you had a busy weekend. Tell me about, you know, first off, you guys play basketball, the men and the women uh, at AmFam Field. Um, first off, how did that go? And, and was it a success? I mean, I imagine there was a marketing wing of this involved. And, and t- just tell me about the whole atmosphere, everything else. How did it work? I would tell you, Wayne, that it works better than I thought it would. And it was interesting because I'm walking around the concourse during the women's game. I got there you know, really early on Friday afternoon. And I, I ran into one of the Brewers executives uh, who was you know, involved in the planning of this. And even he was saying, this looks better than I thought. You know, they, <laughs> they, they thought it would be pretty good. You know, there were things that they were mulling over. Do you elevate the floor? Uh, it, it, what they ended up doing was not that. They ended up eliminating the pitching mound. You know, if you do it again, maybe you elevate the floor for sightline purposes. Uh, the fans that I was talking to, now obviously you're in a, you're in a baseball, you're in a ballpark. So the sight lines are not going to be as good as it would be at the, at the Cole Center or at Pfizer Forum, but it was still an event. It was something different, and the fans mm-hmm. there seem to be having a great time. Now, no small part of this was that you could get adult beverages there, which you still can't do at the Cole Center or at Camp Randall Stadium. You can do it at a lot of other venues, but you can't <laughs> do it here at the UW campus for sporting events outside of the luxury suites and, and the club seats. Uh, but fans were able to do that. You want to get a beer, you go get a beer and you just, you enjoy being at the ballpark. I don't know how many tailgated. It was a little chilly that day, but this is Wisconsin. I'm sure people still tailgated and had a good time. It, it really went well. Um, it, it's, uh, it's something that I don't think they would rule out trying again. Let's put it that way. Uh, I, I think, and what it does to Wayne, I mean, Michigan State played Gonzaga on an aircraft carrier uh, mm-hmm. out at the USS Abraham Lincoln. Uh, what it does, it, it does help in a marketing, in a marketing way, try that again, in a way to market college basketball in the month of November in a month that's dominated by football, the NFL, the stretch drive uh, of college football and the effort that Greg Gard had, he had to wear his public relations hat a lot. A lot of trips to Milwaukee, a lot of interviews for a game. What the Milwaukee Brewers had to do, Intersport, uh, the, the company that put it on, everything that they had to do. Not to mention Stanford and the Kansas State women's program, you know, for agreeing to do this. So there were a lot of people who had to work together. It was pouring a lot into a game for the women's program and for the men's program. But I think it got people talking about college basketball who otherwise wouldn't in the middle of November. All right. AmFam Field. Um, could it handle uh, an NCAA regional and maybe someday a Final Four? What do you think? I, I think, Wayne, the biggest obstacle to that would be the fact that, that all of that happens about the time of opening day and what kind of potential damage could occur to the field itself would there be enough time to get it prepared to the level it needs to be for a major league game it's something that i I think you never say never but that's a question that maybe most importantly the brewers organization would have to confront Mm -hmm. Uh, it would be great it'd be great to do it because you would need you would need more seating closer to the floor sure there was a bleacher area behind the player benches and the scores table Otherwise, and there was some seating along the baselines. Otherwise, everything was in 
in the stands like it would normally be for a, for a Brewers game. You would probably need more temporary seating. And then it just comes down to how much, how much stress do you want to put on the field itself yeah. so close to the start of the, of the Major League Baseball season. Matt, where did they have the floor? Was it closer to home plate? Was it in that area where you guys? Yeah, between first and third. Yeah, yeah between okay. first and third. Yeah. So it was well. It was good. Interesting, the interesting uh, setup. That's for sure. Um, I think in our next podcast, we want to get a. Well, I want to get the lowdown from you on uh, college basketball in general. But you had an interesting weekend. Um, Okay, so you go to AmFam for that game, and then you get on the private Uline jet and head down to. <laughs> Iowa City, right? No. Yeah, no. It was the uh, it was <laughs> the Mike Heller driven. Uh, oh yeah, the, the Mike Heller Mean Machine taking us from. Uh, we met up with him again in Madison, and then a meeting at a park and ride. He took Mike Lucas and I the rest of the way to lovely Cedar Rapids to the Cedar team headquarters, and then drove down to Iowa City on Saturday morning. That pod, you know, we we should do an entire podcast on some of your adventures through the years. <laughs> yeah. The Big Ten game at noon, the Bulls game at night, and yeah. the Packers game in San Francisco or wherever the yeah. next day. So, no, this was this was all drivable. And as you know, you check the weather. The weather yeah. was good. So that uh, And we had a driver, so that took a lot of stress. It, was, it wasn't all that bad. Yeah, well, that's good. No, uh, Mike didn't drive. You had a driver. Or did Mike drive? No, Mike, Mike Keller was the driver. He was oh our God. statistician, pregame host, driver. And then he gets back to do Packer pregame on Sunday. Exactly. That's five-tool player right there. Five-tool. He was up in Green Bay um, on Sunday to do Packers. Wow. Yeah. It's just one of those crazy weekends. This time of year, Matt, how do you handle preparation? You got a football game coming up. You probably have a couple of basketball games during the week. Um, you know, the basketball, you're probably playing – you're not playing necessarily name, you know, teams out there that you see on TV all the time. How, how is it for you? How do you handle this? Yeah, you got to just stay ahead of it, right? I mean, you know this as well as I do. You just got to try to stay, do everything you can to stay a step ahead. I was putting Nebraska stuff together late last week, at least yeah. the board. And yeah. you start to you take a look at it late in the week or certainly on Sunday, uh, you know, the day after the Iowa game. And it, last week, too, it was, you know, I started putting Iowa stuff together the day before the Maryland game where you just want to try to get out ahead of it a little bit where you, you it's like studying for a test. You know this, yeah. the more you study during the week, the easier game day should be. And it's the same thing with basketball. And, and you're right, because it, specifically with this Green Bay game, you know, we are recording this the afternoon of the game with Wisconsin and, and Green Bay. There's a lot of new faces. A lot of transfers have come into the program, and I got to tell myself, get used to it. You know, particularly with these non-conference opponents, but college basketball in general, the turnover is going to be even more so. Not just lost to graduation or early entry to the NBA. It's guys who are moving on to other other college other other uh, college programs. So the roster turnover, and a lot of times, quite honestly, it could be names out of a phone book. Guys, you have no idea who they are. So right. it's, a, it's a lot more time studying, looking at tape. I've got a lot of Nebraska games on DVR, and you just you watch as much of that as you yep. can and get yourself yep. ready that when the game happens, you know what number connects with what name. Well, and you know, and then you got to yeah, then you got to focus that day. It's interesting when you do multiple games in a weekend or a day. Uh, Kevin Harlan, who does a lot of this stuff, a lot of multiple games in a week, said that you know, 
you can prepare for all the games, but you can only do one game at a time. You know what I mean? Yep. You, at some point, you got to sit there and say, okay, I got to forget about Nebraska. I've got to focus on UWGB here for tonight and then refocus on Nebraska later on that week, whatever. But uh, it's an interesting thing. Um, <laughs> it's just yeah, people don't realize that what we do, unless you are like Bob Costas, you have a photographic memory, can look at a roster, mm -hmm. no name and number the rest of your life on that particular <laughs> roster. It's it's a little bit of work. It's a little bit of prep work. You know, there's no doubt about that. Yeah, what I find particularly in opponents that Wisconsin never sees, if it's a non-conference game against New Mexico State or whatever, I remember that name until the clock hits zero in the fourth quarter. And then you ask me a half an hour later, who's wearing number 82? I don't have a clue. I don't have a clue. I'm the same way, but that goes back to remember when we were in grade school and uh, the spelling test was always on Friday at St. Mary's School in Lee, Massachusetts. And I would be cramming on Wednesday and Thursday. I'd get to the test and I'd probably get about a B on the test. But if I had to take it over Saturday morning, I'd have an F. No, <laughs> no question. No doubt about it. No, so I, to I'm, this day, I'm a bad speller. I, I would like if I had if you asked me about Maryland, I could tell you about Talia Tungavailoa, one or two other guys, and that'd be about it. Because yeah. that was a week and a half ago they played Maryland, and I, I don't know, I forgot. They the first year. time they played them in five years. I have no idea. But Brent Musburger said something else that was interesting in this uh, this train of conversation. He said, you know, somebody was asking him, he's like in his mid 70s, he's still doing games for ESPN or whatever. Somebody said, well, how do you do it, Brett? And he said, well, I only remember last names anymore. I only prepare for last because there's so many names, you know what I mean? After all these years, they're somewhere in your head and you see somebody or you see a name and you think, you know, he said, I just do last names. And then, you know, I <laughs> go from there because there are too many names from all these years in my head. And oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah is no November is always interesting, though, right? Yeah. With even in my world and the college world where you got the basketball, football you know, blend or whatever you want to call it. I can only I, I do want to spend more time on this in a future podcast with how you kept it all organized, your travel schedule, uh, just getting all the names right in your head when you've got. When you've got Wisconsin, Purdue, and West Lafayette at noon on Saturday, the Bulls and the Spurs on Saturday night, and then the Packers and the Dolphins yeah. at Hard Rock on Sunday, <laughs> how all that actually worked and how you never missed a game. Well, we'll tell some stories <laughs> we'll, we'll, <laughs> next time we get together. Uh, at any rate, Matt, best of luck with everything. Um, you got a busy week, and and uh, I've got a short turnaround uh, with this. But by the way, I won't know nearly as much about Tennessee as I did about Dallas because I just don't have time to prepare for it all. That's right. Just just <laughs> wing it, Wayne. You're a pro. You'll figure I'll it just out. Wing it. Yep. And if uh, if I get the names wrong, well, the, somebody will write it up on Twitter. Matt, thank you much. <laughs> we'll talk to you coming up in a couple of weeks. Look forward to it, Wayne. <laughs> Take care. That'll do it for us. Our producer engineer, Dave McCann, our executive producer, Jeff Tyler. Thank you for listening to the Laravie and LaPay podcast. The Laravie and LaPay podcast is presented by UW Credit Union, here for every you. With podcast partners, Bachman Pools and Spas, Hot Spring Spas, and Endless Pools at Bachman's Madison and Milwaukee. Get in the game with Pottawatomie Hotel and Casino, 24-7 gaming, dining at a luxury hotel, all in the heart of downtown Milwaukee. Pottawatomie Hotel and Casino, your win is waiting. The Laravie and LaPay podcast is produced and engineered by Dave McCann with coordinating assistance by A.J. Mansoor. 
Listen to every episode of the Laravie and LaPay podcast on iHeartRadio, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Make it a real Mad March with a playoff payout at Potawatomi. Every week, you could score your share of one hundred grand in cash and free play. Play this March for drawing entries. Win each Thursday. Plus, the prizes refresh every week for even more winners. The playoff payout at Potawatomi, Milwaukee. It's anyone's game. For more details, visit PaysBig.com slash payout. Must be 21 and a club member to play.